Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And in a week where the high street is really suffering, where Jamie Oliver has um, had to close a number of his restaurants, putting 1,300 jobs at risk, where Arcadia Group, um, the Topshop and Burton stores are closing, um, and those that aren't closing, they're renegotiating rental agreements. And of course, the big story in the news this week is British Steel uh, gone into compulsory liquidation. Is that right, Tracy? Is that the right I term? believe that's but where it was at the time of uh, doing my research. Yes, yes it yes. may well have moved on since yes, then. Yes, things may well have moved on apace. Um, but we have decided that we would take a look at a topic that's been rumbling around for quite a long time. It started off being called global warming and then moved on to be known as climate change. And of course, that impacts us as individuals, but it also impacts us as businesses. Uh, what have you got on this, Tracy? Well, interestingly enough, and I, I just Googled what does climate change mean for small business? And I was quite surprised to see that there wasn't a lot of current information out there. I really had to dig hard. You know, it wasn't the front page of Google. I had to dig and dig. And then, yeah. then I had to sort of target my research to very specific websites. A lot of the stuff was, was from 10 years ago, maybe. But I did find a few interesting pieces. Um, the first one is from worldbank.org. And it, it's basically, why should businesses whose main responsibility is to their shareholders, care about climate change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good point. And they, they make the point in the article that actually climate change and all that comes with it, droughts, flooding, storms, financial chaos, will actually hit the bottom line of all companies, no matter how big or how small. So you need to take it seriously for your shareholders as well. So if that's the only reason you're running your business is to benefit your shareholders, there is still a reason why you need to be bothered yeah. about climate change. Yeah. Then reading further on, it, it sort of echoed something I'd, I'd been thinking of myself when I was looking at this research, is actually there's opportunity here as well. It's a disruptive force, but with all disruptive forces, there come opportunities if you're innovative enough and prepared to look for them. So the sort of things it was saying is that renewable energy is obviously a market that's ripe for uh, exploration if, if you're going to innovate, because certain countries around the world have set some really ambitious targets for renewable energy. I'm just reading here about Honduras and India, and I don't know if that will have changed since this article was written, but somebody has to provide the wherewithal and the means for them to be able to produce renewable energy. And then there's the eco-friendly construction sectors. Uh, a lot of people are, are now turning to more eco-friendly and there's obviously a need to build more houses. So that, that's an area of potential growth. And then there's something that I hadn't heard of before, climate smart financial solutions. And this includes everything from a green bond, which a government can issue, to um, microloans for entrepreneurs. So it opened my eyes a little bit there. Before I go on, Heather, did you find anything in your little search? In my little search? Well, I agree with you that it, it, it was difficult to find up-to-date information, but I did come across a report that was published in 2017 by the World Wildlife Fund, and they were talking about work that they're doing with the corporate sector. Now, you know, this is um, predominantly with really large global organisations, but 
it started to look at what um, what they're doing and, and what they're trying to achieve by working with those companies. And what they want to do is to change behaviour um, and drive conservation results that, you know, without the cooperation of, of corporates wouldn't happen. And more specifically, they look at things like... Um, supporting the equitable sharing of natural resources so making sure that natural resources are you know being used fairly across the planet this isn't just uh uk or europe or it's, it's across the whole planet uh, raising awareness of the need to consume more wisely uh protecting some of the most ecologically important places on the planet but also promoting better production and responsible sourcing of raw materials um, and, and moving away from the whole deforestation uh, and unsustainable use of water. So they've got their agenda, of course, that's what they do, but it's starting to talk to businesses and find ways to you know, be more efficient and, 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 and be more environmentally friendly, I guess, and, and reduce the impact. Now, one of the big things that is around at the moment and certainly this week is uh, young people getting involved in this because here we are as adults thank goodness well yes because you know it's it's their world and and um there's a young lady called uh, greta thunberg who um has, has spoken up and, and been quite vocal about this she uh she has sort of piloted these what they're calling um, strikes where young people are going on strike they're not going to school they're not going to college and there's one and this is around the whole world and this is taking place this friday um the hashtag that she's using is climate strike uh and they've got uh, a couple of days ago i was looking at her twitter feed and they'd got uh 1300 locations in 110 countries taking part and there is actually a map on um, fridaysforfuture.org that shows where these these strikes are being held. So I thought I'd have a little look. And there are a couple taking place in Chester, um, uh, outside the town hall. Uh, there's Shrewsbury Town Hall, Stoke-on-Trent uh, in Albion Square. Um, up in Manchester, there are several. So this is actually happening. This is a real thing. And it can only be a positive thing that young people are making a stand and this fits really well with you know the whole um, single-use bags and straws and cotton buds and the banning of those um, in the UK you know so this is a real thing this really is happening uh, and as businesses we have to we have to get on board with it and that's where I started to look then because if you're inspired by or even shamed by the young people that are taking yep. this action and making this stand and they haven't got the wherewithal to actually make the big changes. They're trying to flag something up. But if you've got a small business, you can have an If you've got a big business, you can have an impact. But I was looking for ideas on ways that businesses can actually make some changes. So I found uh, a quick article on smallbiztrends.com with six ways that small businesses can fight climate change. And it starts off with building a culture of awareness, educating your employees on the impact that every person has on the environment and simple steps that you can take to reduce your ecological footprint. And if it becomes part of the business culture, then it will start to become the norm inside mm. and outside mm. the office. Number two was to rethink your waste. Although it's virtually impossible to eliminate all waste, you can cut down, eliminate paper handouts, cut back on um, 
water in meetings in the bottles you know in fact you could even ban single-use water bottles in the workplace all that sort of waste reduction sort of fits in with the cultural change because the company can lead with that again reducing your travel you know business travel you could video conference or you could try a different way maybe not air travel maybe just cut down the number of trips that you make or actually sharing travel if you're driving in the car or giving them access to public transport or making the hours more suitable for uh, public transport. Choosing environmentally conscious vendors, so that's looking at your supply chain and seeing if your suppliers have got like minds or even if you're just using a local business, you're cutting down on mileage and and shipping costs save energy obviously there are things that you can do to save energy in your workplace including how many computers get left on when there's nobody there you know how many lights get left on when nobody's there and another one that i'd never thought about but um it could be that the person that's wrote this article runs a cloud-based software company i'm not sure but it suggests using the cloud which enables you to have a green it um, policy and also a better use of resources and energy so don't know much about that but that was on the list as well so there is stuff to do but i don't think there's a, a lot of guidance out there in the mainstream at the moment for businesses no and i think you know as as individuals we we've got quite good at turning machines off uh, putting machines on standby turning lights off and it, and it has to be a cultural thing it has to be something that everybody um takes on board in in the workplace and again it's one of those things that there's nothing wrong with putting it on your your board meeting agendas you you know just to say right are we are we are we all over this are we doing what we're supposed to be doing how are we performing because the larger organizations are having to measure this stuff um, and report on it uh, because of the climate change levy well just because we're a small business and that might not come into play it doesn't mean that it's not something that we should put on our agenda uh and what finally i found an interesting article that was published this week in the guardian actually and it's talking about um if carbon levels don't change uh, there's a think tank that says that we'll have to move to a four-day week and nine-hour days uh to reduce the amount of emissions purely and simply for the flow of people to and from work now i quite like that idea because I like the idea of only working a nine-hour day, but um, that whole four-day week thing, um, I think it, you know, it's got legs. But then you have to think about what are people going to be doing during that that day? You know, are they all going to be off driving around in their cars anyway? I mean, it's a bit of a, but it, it's all food for thought. At least it's people thinking. Yes, and that's what it's about, isn't it? I think. In other news this week, HM Revenue and Customs are continuing their campaign of targeting restaurants and takeaways as financial stress makes tax evasion more tempting. And according to BDO, the accountancy firm, restaurants and takeaways make up 26% of businesses named and shamed by the HM Revenue and Customs as deliberate tax defaulters since they began publishing the list in December 2017. Heather, did you know there was a list of deliberate tax defaulters? No. Well, I'm not on it. <laughs> no, it's a good job. Anyway, restaurants are believed to be more likely than most businesses to underdeclare income tax due to the high volume of cash transactions they process. And HM Revenue and Customs have been particularly active in the pursuit of lost tax through tips, which can be difficult to monitor. 
If a restaurant is operating a tip scheme incorrectly or misreports its tips, HMRC can seek any unpaid tax along with interest and penalties. And be warned, HMRC has a range of task force focused on investigating the restaurant industry right now. Heather, mm. sorry, that, that sounds like right, right now. Grim warning, yes. It does, yes. Well, I was desperately trying to find a cheerful story in the news. And um, so I, and I had to dig deep, I ha- I'll tell you now. But I came across um, Royal Mail has announced plans for the UK's first ever parcel post boxes. So um, this is where they said that they're going to they're going to put fourteen hundred new post boxes across the country um, over a six month period, starting in August of this year, and they're just going to start with thirty different locations, the big cities, as you might expect. Um, you will be able to post parcels in the same way that you post a letter. Has it just got a bigger hole? It's just yeah, it's got a bigger hole, but one that people can't put their hands in and start right, okay. um, fishing stuff out again, which could be great around Christmas. Um, <laughs> and you use the prepaid Royal Mail labels, so that's where you go onto the Royal Mail website, purchase postage, print off the stickers, and stick them on your own. Yeah, I mean you can do that with letters already. Um, and uh, they, the, the post office say that this is one of, one of the biggest innovations in parcels since the launch of Parcel Post in 1883. Uh, and I just thought, well, I very often go round and about, and I, it might not even be a parcel, it might just be a, a big letter. And I've driven around trying to shove something in, you know, and the post boxes are always too small. So I thought that that was um, a useful and fairly positive news story. What, what else have you got, Tracy? Okay, ONS, of course. They've published a report this week that caught my eye, and it's on personal and economic well-being and what matters most to our life satisfaction. So the main points on the report uh, is that health, marital status and economic activity have the strongest associations with how positively we rate our life satisfaction. I've got to say that that sort of comes with a... It's the Pope a Catholic sort right. of comment. <laughs> <laughs> and comparing this with previous findings, however, marital status appears to matter more for people's life satisfaction in October 2017 to tr- September 2018 than it did six years before. Okay. Okay. Age is the personal characteristic most strongly related to life satisfaction, with younger people reporting higher life satisfaction. And in terms of household economic circumstances, higher household spending is more strongly related to how we rate our life satisfaction than higher household income. Both matter less, or I'll get my words out, both matter less than personal circumstances. So there you go. Health, marital status and economic activity Mm -hmm. are the most important um, links, associations with how we rate our life satisfaction. There's one to mull on. That is one to mull on, yes. Yeah. I did just pick up, um, you know, we avoid the the B word on this uh, this show whenever possible. But it does, as as you might expect, it does appear to be taking its toll on manufacturing orders. Um, UK order books uh, reported in The Guardian say are shrinking. Um, But Brexit stockpiling continues. And in fact, I was somewhere today... Um, at an organisation that moves uh, chilled product around. And apparently they have been stockpiling cheese. 
from Ireland. I think if you looked in my fridge, you might think I was stockpiling <laughs> cheese. I can't stockpile cheese. I always eat it. <laughs> but um, so I don't know. They've been stockpiling, I think, since before we were meant to leave before. Um, so I don't know what they're doing with all of this cheese, but... Um, aging it. Aging it. <laughs> yes, I said, was, is it brie? But, um, but, it, but it isn't, apparently. Um, but a lot of companies are reporting that orders are falling and that um, export orders uh, are at the, at the lowest level um, for almost three years. So, um, yeah, not again, not another good news story, but... Uh, but one that's worth mentioning, I think. So if you, were, if you are in the export industry or if you are a manufacturer um, and I, that trend, you're bucking that trend, then um, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us here at thebusiness.community. I'm going to finish with uh, research published by Dell Small Business this week where they reported that finding staff is the number one problem affecting productivity for small businesses. And I can... Hold my hands up and say, yes, that's <laughs> definitely true. One of the organisations I'm working for at the moment, it's really highlighted just how difficult it is to recruit the right candidates at the moment. Also, lack of cash to upgrade IT and keeping software up to date are the biggest tech barriers. However, the good news in the light of what we've been talking about at the top of the show is that 83.7% of people who responded to the survey said that they care about the world we live in and want to be more environmentally conscious. You know that thing when you're doing research on the internet and you, uh, you come across a website that just, you go, oh my goodness, and then you spend ages on the website. Well, every found, week. <laughs> every week, yeah, yeah, and, you, and suddenly you realise that you've lost, you know, a whole day. Um, well, I, I found a website when I was doing the research, actually, around climate change for this show, uh, because, as we've already said, there was... There was a distinct lack of, of information out there. But I found a website that is a Northern Ireland website. It's called nibusinessinfo.co.uk. Uh, but if anybody remembers the days of Business Link, uh, when there used to be loads of resources available. Oh, I love Business Link. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, well, this is, is kind of similar. Now, okay, some of the, the legal beagley bits might be more relevant to somebody who's running a business in, in Northern Ireland. However... Um, broadly speaking, I think it, it ticks the boxes for, for anybody. Uh, and it has, it has a number of guides. It has a lot of resources. It has news. Uh, it has a, a start a business helpline. Uh, it's got a set up a business. Here's a pre-start checklist. And of course, because I was looking um, around climate change, there you go. There's a whole, um, there's a whole section on efficiency and environment. But they've got a search field where you can literally type in anything and it will it will throw up either a guide or some news articles or some resources. So, for example, if you were to type in, so as I did, I typed in climate change, uh, it, it brings up, um, well, first of all, it says, did you mean climate range, which I didn't. But then it has um, climate change levy, manuals, forms and reference material. Um, intro, introductory guidance, uh, payments, your business strategy and climate change, adapt your business to climate change, how climate change affects your business. You know, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, and it, it's so easily laid out. It's, it's clean. It's clear. It's got a number of reports that you can download uh, around all sorts of things. You can find commercial property. You can start. It's got 
templates and forms and letters and policies. Um, it, it's just got all of those things that, you know, when you go, where do I even start? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, you, you need something and you think, I'm just looking at a blank piece of paper here and I don't know where to begin. Well, these resources are available for you to download, look at, and then tweak and tailor and, 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 and make right for your business. So that's nibusinessinfo.co.uk. Um, yeah, I love it. I've, I've bookmarked it, as you might expect. <laughs> what have you got, Tracy? I've got a bit of a curveball. Oh. I did lose myself in a website. I stumbled across uh, this website called tandfonline.com. And it's, uh, it's got journals on there, so online okay. journals. And okay. I found this one called Business History. Not heard of it before. And I did contact Gareth at Business Line. He'd not heard of it before either. So, wow, if Gareth's yeah. not heard of it, oh, then I found something new. Yes, yeah, the Oracle. And it's an international journal concerned with the long-run evolution and contemporary operation of business systems and enterprises. Mm. You can see why I like it. Yes, it's your kind of thing, (laughs) yes. And its primary purpose is to make available the findings of advanced research, empirical and conceptual, into matters of global significance. And they've won a reputation for academic excellence, does have a wide readership, they say. Okay. And the core strategy is to promote business history as a scholarly discipline, engaging on an equal footing with mainstream history and the wider social sciences. So that's all of their sales pitch. So I scrolled on and I, I wanted to see what sort of articles they've got and I really wanted to delve deeper. Shady business on the history of white collar crime. Oh. So these are the most read articles on there at the moment. Beer, brewing and business history. Where now for fair trade? And documenting the story of one of the world's largest fashion retailers, H&M. Oh. So it sounds absolutely fascinating. They publish eight issues a year and it's actually really rather expensive. So not something that you would perhaps buy for yourself. However, you can see abstracts for most of the articles and sometimes an abstract is all you need. And you can see full content for some articles. So they do make some of them available. And you could always ask your local library if they can give you access to it. Now, as, as I said, Gareth of Business Line said they don't have access to the hard copy, but he was going to look and try and find out if they could have access to the online copy. So when you say really rather expensive... Hundreds. Hundreds, I guess. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All n- right. Not, not sort of like your, your weekly spend on, on the week or the economist no, or no, something. No, no, it's... Serious academic sort of journals. But if you've got the access to it, or even if you just want to go and read the abstract and the odd article that's available, if you like that sort of thing, then go to T and F online. And I guess the thing is, if you read the the excerpt or whatever it might be, then you can go and read, you can go and Google the rest of the, you know, you go, oh, that's something I didn't even know I needed to know about. And there you are. That's another evening lost. This week, we're profiling a man called Julian Richer, who's been in the news uh, this last few weeks because he's announced that he's transferred ownership to his employees by passing 60% of his shares to a trust, as well as quite separately paying each employee, excluding their directors, a thank you bonus of £1,000 for every year of work from his own pocket to his 500 plus employees. Wow. 
That's pretty that is good, pretty impressive. It? So Julian Richard is a lieutenant of the Royal Victorian Order. I started to Google that, but then it got way too complicated. Okay. He, he's got some sort of gong okay. from the Queen. Yeah. He was born in 1959, and he's a retail entrepreneur, philanthropist, and the founder of Richer Sounds, the UK's largest hi-fi retailer. And he's notable because he's got quite a reputation for his motivational style of management, even before he gave his employees, his company, and uh, a nice uh, little cash bonus. And he's also known for his philanthropic and charitable activities. So had you heard of him before he came into the news for giving his business away, Heather? I had, and I often quote him um, in the training that I deliver uh, to leaders and, and managers. Um, Richard Sounds, uh, they have, a, or they certainly had, if they don't still have, a store in Chester. Um, and when I worked on the Sunday Times Best Companies to Work For list, Richard Sounds appeared on that list. And I always remember, I mean, he, he, he's quite an eccentric. I think he got, you know, a, a gold Bentley or something or, a, you know, private jet or, you know, he, he, he enjoyed his money. Um, and I always, always remember um, an employee saying, Julian Richard is a gentleman. He always says good morning and he always remembers my name. And so important. It's so important and it costs nothing. And I kind of have that whole, I don't really care whether he does remember somebody's name or if he's got somebody stood next to him saying, just tell me the name of whoever it is I'm walking towards. It doesn't matter how he does it. It's the fact that it's important enough to him to do it. So I'm, I'm a fan of Julian Richard. But what I think is quite interesting is Forbes um, ran an article about um, this handover of his business, 60%. And they said that he's... Um, He's the owner of one of the UK's largest electronics retailers. And I was surprised at that. Yeah, I was surprised as well. Because you think of, you know, the comics and comets on, not curries anymore. But yeah, I didn't realise it was quite such a serious business. Well, yeah, the last published accounts, the company made £157.5 million turnover. Yeah, which is 1% up from the previous year. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. So, so just it's kind of not on your radar, you know. Um, and, and funnily enough, before this even happened, um, I was in Cheltenham and there's a Richard Sounds in Cheltenham. And I said to my husband, I was driving and I said, can you text me Richard Sounds? Because I think that's something that I need to remember about. Um, I'm not saying I had a premonition or anything. And then, of course, when this happened, it's like, oh, yes, definitely. We need to we need to have a look at this man. Well, he established Richard Sounds in 1978 and uh, he's opened a shop near to London Bridge and has been listed in the Guinness World Records as achieving the highest sales per square foot of any retail outlet in the world. So I'm guessing it's quite small. But he could only have been about 20 then because he's 60 now. Yeah. So in 1978. So that's, that's a young age. I suppose he's, the, he's a bit like, um, oh, what's his name? Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I, I noted that he gives 15% of his company profits to charitable causes. And in 2017, that, that was 400 different charitable causes. That's, it's rather impressive. Yep. impressive. He also um, is the founder and trustee of Acts 435, which I've not heard of again. It's set up to help those in need. And he also established ASB Help, which works with victims of antisocial behaviour. What's ask ask forty five? Did you say what? 
ask, hang on a minute, I can get there in a minute, ask 435. Oh, okay. Oh, ACT, sorry, ACT 435. Okay. I'm just going to click on oh, a link right. now to go there. He's you fill in while okay, I'm just I'll, looking. I'll fill in with um, the books that he's written. He's written a number of books. Um, I think the most famous one is um, uh, The Richer Way, How to Get the Best Out of People. Um, and I, I think, it, although we haven't reviewed it on this show, it's perhaps something that we should look at in the future. Um, one of us might decide to download a Kindle copy. Uh, because he was one of, the, you know, one of the first pioneers of treating people well. Um, he also wrote a book in uh, 2018, The Ethical Capitalist, How to Make Business Work Better for Society. So he does have that sort of corporate social responsibility strand through him. It was the Financial Times Book of the Month. Ah, was it? Yes. So it's, uh, ah. It discusses the need for a new sense of moral purpose in business and okay. how to make business work better for society. And he believes that capitalism might just be saved from itself. Mm. I've not read the book, but no. I'm certainly interested. I read the preface and yeah, thought, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to read a bit more of that. Would you like to know what Act 435? Three, four, four, three, 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 five. Five. Yes, please, I would. <laughs> and let me get this right. Yeah. Acts, A-C-T-S, 435.org.uk. Okay. It's a website that allows people to give money directly to others, managed through a network of churches and local charities. Their goal is to get 100% of your di- donations quickly to those in need. Oh, I'm so a founder yeah. of, of that and director of that. So I had a look on Companies House, as I often do. And uh, as you might expect, for somebody who's described and describes himself as an entrepreneur, there were a number of entries on Companies House. So he's the director of Act 435, as we said. He's the director of Tax Watch Limited, which is an organisation um, that he set up um, to, to actually, let me see, it's a, a think tank yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, to broaden public participation in the debate on tax, monitoring and reporting on tax payments of large companies working in the UK. So he's, he's very anti-tax avoidance. Mm-hmm. And he set up this, um, this think tank and included in the directors are James Timpson right, and okay. um, Richard Brooks, who's an investigative journalist with Private Eye. So... Also, JR Lending and 37 other current appointments. Oh, sorry, 37 current appointments in total. Wow. So I didn't list them all because no, I no. thought that might be a little bit dull. He's a busy bee. So it, it's it really interesting. And I was, um, I was intrigued to learn a little bit more. Uh, you know, so you're, you're looking around for articles to get a sense mm. of the person. So uh, from management today, it explains how he set up the business. Uh, but his um, first job... He was aged 14 and three quarters and he was selling, um, roaming around the second-hand hi-fi shops and he was selling, buying things cheap and selling them higher. He bought a turntable for a tenner, did it up and flogged it for £22 and he had three people working on commission for him by the time he was 17. Right. So he was really an Truly, early starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't find any quotes per se. Did you find a quote? I know you like to. I've got one seek quote, and quote. I think it, it's about his um, his attitude to his workforce. He says, "If you treat your people right, then of course they're going to be happier and give better service, and they're going to stay with you, and they're not going to steal." Well. <laughs> And if you get handed a share of the business and £1,000 for every year you've worked there, I think that uh, is also a very big positive. (laughs) I mean, you just wouldn't believe that, would you? You know, you come home from work and you say, 
you know, did you have a good day? Well, yes, I did have quite a good day. Well, well I now own part of the business and I've got this... Uh, eight average £8,000 yeah. payout. Yeah. Gosh, good amazing. One. Yeah, good one. Good, one. Good, good on you, Julian. Well, that's about all we've got time for this week. Um, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.